Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like something Hello and welcome back to the podcast It is always up to speed with Formula One It is Sunday, June 4th, 2023 Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here to break down all the action At Circuit Barcelona, or sorry, Circuit Catalunya in Barcelona One of my favorite tracks in the entire world Because I've been there And one of the most beautiful cities Because I've been there too but this is not me going on and doing my little Lonely Planet travel log kind of deal, although that would be absolutely awesome. But I am joined by the aforementioned Mr. Mark Hamilton. Hammy, you got a big smile on your face. You must be you must have had a good weekend, I'm assuming. I'm smiling because I I recalled some feedback that we recently received from one of our greatest, longest listeners. And and the feedback was very much about the fact that, hey, we love you guys. We love hearing about your life. But when it comes to these race reviews, can you just get to the race review? (laughs) So maybe that's what we do today. And, you know, Max wins his 40th career Grand Prix. Whoa, whoa, just hang on a second. Just hang on a second. Before we do that... You know, well, I guess we'll get into it. Just to, just really briefly, is your condo in Landstroll Island still up for <laughs> sale or, or is this something we're going to get to yes. over the course of the show? So there have been some offers, but I okay. think with interest rates the way they are, they're they're not <laughs> the type of offers I was hoping for. So one of our listeners, Amy, had recommended that maybe I Airbnb it. So I think Here for now, I'll, I'll Airbnb it to keep the investment income flowing, but uh, maybe there'll be an offer. But it is definitely still for sale. I will be not, will not be dissuaded by one top five finish to, <laughs> to retain that that real estate. Fair enough. We'll talk about that as we get into the meat of the show here. But you're saying about the race itself. Yes, yeah, Max, Max winning again. Win number yeah. 40. It's, it's his 40th career win. Almost seven years to the day that he won in Spain for his first seven career Seven years? Grand, oh my Grand God. Prix. Where did the time and, go? And impressively too, and this is something we don't talk yep. a lot about, but this is his third career Grand Slam. And if you're not familiar with the concept of a Formula One Grand Prix Grand Slam, it means that he topped the FP1, FP2, FP3 sessions. He had pole. He led every lap. He had the fastest lap and he ultimately won the race. And he did so on a pretty interesting strategy, you know, where, where most of the cars on the grid started on the softs. He started on the mediums. Despite that, he had so much pace. He had, I I don't know, he could have, he could have made errors. They could afford to experiment with different strategies. And I think maybe the only risk of the strategy today was, look, you know what, you're going to go into T1. Maybe you give up position to a car on softs. He didn't. He absolutely ran away with it. I think he probably left two tenths of a second on the board in terms of his overall race pace, but he was absolutely perfect this weekend and the car was perfect. And, you know, post-race, he he was asked about the car and the conditions and he was very complimentary about everything. But you really cannot, and we'll get to this a little bit later, you cannot ask for any more from that car, from that team, and from that driver. Now, 
when it comes to Sergio Perez, we'll probably get to that in a couple of minutes. But Max, congratulations on win number 40. You've added, I think, a couple of additional points to that spread between you and Perez. He's currently up 53 points on Perez. And remarkably, two weeks ago, daily, three weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that maybe, maybe this championship could be dragged out into the early part of the summer. That championship is absolutely over. But that, I think, is my... And there's a lot of talking points from this race, but I think just credit where credit is due, Max was perfect this weekend. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about it watching the the, the, the race today that um, <laughs> I was thinking, well, you know, if it wasn't for Max, you know, it was a pretty interesting race up and down the rest of the, 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 the running order. But I don't want to take anything away from Max because I often found myself thinking the same way during like the the Lewis dominating years at Mercedes and also go back to say the Schumacher years or the Senna years. I mean... <clears throat> And excuse me, I apologize right now to everyone. I'm really suffering with hay fever this weekend. So if I'm sniffing and, and coughing along here, just uh, bear with me. But anyway, so when you go through these different dynasties and different eras of dominance that, you know, it, it's it's easy to start complaining and say, oh, you know, they're just too good. They're too fast. They're too dominant. But there is something really special, too, about watching a driver in the best car, just at, at the peak of their game and not putting a weekend wrong. I mean, I'm, and I often thought about that too during like the, the Lewis at, uh, you know, Mercedes dominance years from 2014 to, to 2020 that, that, you know, it, it was pretty easy to put your money on Lewis basically any weekend, but it was always kind of, it was always really fun to watch that when he needed to put the hammer down, the whole hammer time thing. It was also special to watch that as well. So, I mean, Max, best driver in the best car with the best power unit at the moment. I mean, they, they you know, they're, you know, they're batting a thousand on that. And <laughs> I thought it was really funny during the race today because they were talking about on the race co uh, commentary on Sky. They said, "Well, what what do you think Carlos uh, can do or Carlos Sainz can do to help close that gap with uh, with Max Verstappen?" And I think Martin Brund Brundle said something to the effect of, "Well, they could hire Adrian Newey." <laughs> like, well, sure, maybe if they did that, that might help them for next year but that's not going to help them this afternoon but you know that you get that point uh, that 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 this red bull is it's just flawless right now and that gap between max and and sergio is just crazy big at the moment i mean you know if if, if sergio even wants to be anywhere close to max in challenging for this championship he has to be better than perfect and that means he has to be better than max at the moment and and, and that's you know as much as i love sergio that's a tough ask yeah, Daly, I think this is maybe a good opportunity rather than deferring it to later in the show to talk a little bit about Sergio because as perfect as Max was this weekend, like I said, he just cleaned up in all of the practice sessions. He took pole, fastest lap, et cetera, et cetera. As perfect as he was, I, I think Sergio's a perfect example of the fact that having the best car on the grid doesn't automatically translate to contending for championships and race wins. And, you know, you and I talked so much last week about all of the struggles that Sergio Perez had in, in Monaco, the fact that he was absolutely 
blitzed by Max Verstappen. Even though he finished second, he was absolutely rocked by Max Verstappen in Miami. And Australia, that P5 finish was not particularly clean itself, and it was very problematic. And we talked about the fact that he probably psychologically wanted to follow Monaco up with Spain as quickly as possible so he could put that, no pun intended, in his rearview mirror. But he was just not good this weekend. And Ultimately, he struggled qualifying. He couldn't get out of Q2. That was that was his racecraft. That was the mistakes that he was making on the track. And you would assume that with that car, that that absolute weapon that he was granted, that from, from P11, he could have scored a podium finish, maybe should have scored a podium finish. And ultimately, towards the end, he was making up some ground on George Russell. But ultimately... You have to you have to think that with that car, a P4 finish is unacceptable. That ultimately, you know what, he dug himself that hole of starting outside of the top 10 because of his qualifying performance. But despite that, he should have, especially with the DRS, the first DRS zone on this track where you can get up all that speed along the start-stop straight, overtake people into T1, that he should have been able to storm his way to a podium. And the fact that he didn't is is really a reflection of where he is as, as a driver right now. When I was listening to the Checkered Flag podcast earlier today, and they made some really great questions, kind of had some really great conversation about where he is psychologically. And it seems like in the course of two or three weeks, we went from talking about Sergio Perez as in contention for a championship, although I don't think any of us realistically expected he'd be able to sustain that level of driving over a 20 race calendar. But now there's open conversations about whether is he going to finish the season? Is he going to race next year? He's of course he's under contract for 2024. He he's not under contract for 2025, but if he continues to drive like this, is this enough to warrant Red Bull bringing him back next year? And I, I don't know what the alternative would be, but he's just in a really, really bad place. And I think this is the perfect indication that you can have the best car in the world and not score podiums. So what Max is doing is extra special because he has the best car, but he is doing everything possible with that car as as we saw this weekend with practice and qualifying in the race. Uh, but Sergio Perez is just in a very, very disappointing place right now. And I think he he talked a lot about the fact that some of the compounds couldn't activate this weekend, that the weather was a little bit colder than maybe expected, that I think ultimately if Pirelli had known what the weather was going to be like, maybe they would have brought in a different assortment of tire compounds, but really not in, in a great place. And I know post-race, Christian Horner was questioned a lot about Sergio and he talked about the fact that, hey, it was a really great recovery drive. It wasn't a great recovery drive. A great recovery drive with that cars to finish P2, P3, and he didn't do it. And I don't know if you saw it, but post-race as well, Christian Horner was being interviewed by Nico Rosberg of Sky Sports. And and Nico Rosberg was being a little bit pointed of his criticism of Christian Horner's driver. And Christian Horner responded with, I quote unquote, now you're not in the car. You are happy to criticize these guys, which in a sense is Nico Rosberg's job, right? If he's an analyst, if he's a pundit and he's in the media, it's his role. Sure. But Daly, I'll kick it over to you. You know, last week, maybe an anomaly after, after that really disappointing P16 finish, but he finishes P4 today. But the fact that he was started outside of the top 10 was entirely due Due to his race craft in qualifying, are you disappointed with Sergio? Yeah, hundred percent. And just the you know, I just want to just before I talk more about Sergio, I just want to talk a little bit about Nico Rosberg. Who 
better than Nico Rosberg to try and dive into the head of Sergio Perez. This is a guy that went head to head with Lewis Hamilton for many years, was teammate with Lewis Hamilton for many years at Mercedes at their peak, wins a championship. And one of the reasons for, you know, quitting Formula One after he won the championship, one of the reasons was, you know, Mentally, I can't go against Lewis Hamilton week in, week out, over and over and over again. That's it. That's done. I'm I'm, I'm clocking out. I'm 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 good now. So I mean, I think that Nico Rosberg would have a unique perspective on where you know that the headspace that Sergio Perez is going to be in, because much like uh, much like uh, Lewis. <clears throat> During that partnership with with Nico and Mercedes in the day, Max is also operating at the at the peak of his game. I mean, Lewis has done it better for longer, of course. I mean, there, you know, there's a you know a big gauge difference between Lewis and Max, but you know, I, I find that a little bit uh, you know funny. I, I would be very interested to hear more analysis from from uh, from, from Nico on that front. But yes, just going to to Sergio himself. Yes, I'm very disappointed, and I just want to point something out that uh, the P4 today isn't the worst result that he had on the season. Last week in Monaco, he's classified as P16. Obviously, he trashed the car, you know, and then the the, the byproduct of that was the underside, the floor of that car was, you know, you know, displayed for everyone to see in all his glory. So all those secrets now are being pulled apart by all the nerds across Formula One. But his worst season, or sorry, his worst finish apart from that was in Australia where he scored a P5. However... I'm going to put an asterisk beside that one because that race was a bit of an outlier, the way that it was just pandemonium at the end and it was a little bit kind of crazy. I mean, otherwise, two uh, two firsts and two seconds. And then we've seen cracks in the last couple of weeks. And I think those cracks in Monaco, in Spain, is just the fact that, that Sergio is putting himself under an incredible amount of pressure, trying to be better than perfect, better than his perfect, let's put it that way, trying to raise his game to the level of Max Verstappen, and, and he's paying some prices for that because, I, you know, like you say, I mean, he should be able to podium in that car, even starting where he did in the race. And it was funny because right at the end of that uh, <clears throat> I'd say that final phase in the race after the last round of pit stops, I, you know, I was actually really kind of worried a little bit for, for, for George Russell. I thought, come on, George, get on the podium. You've worked hard for this one. You've raced well today. You've taken advantage of everything. You've, you've, you've driven well. The tires have worked well. You know, you guys have had a good strategy, made some good calls on the pit wall and, and in the cockpit of the car, George made some impressive overtakes. I mean, and, and I thought, you know, if, if anybody deserves to get on the podium today, it's George, you know, by, by, by virtue of what he did on the afternoon and he doesn't have the best car. The, the Mercedes will, will, will be getting to them too. It's, it's better, but it's still not any, it's still, it's still not a Red Bull. Anyways, I, I just thought it was, it, it was interesting in that last six, seven laps or something like that. You hear George's engineer on the, or sorry, um, Sergio's engineer on the radio say, okay, come on, let's go. And, and the, I thought that was it. I thought Sergio, this was the time he's going to he's going to try and crank it up. He's going to get within uh, you know uh, overtaking distance from George by the last lap or so from the race, which they were kind of predicting might happen. But that charge was indifferent. He made absolutely no impression, no meaningful impression on George Russell. I, I think he closed the gap from about. 
I think it was about five and a half. No, maybe it was close to about seven seconds. He got it down to about three, but I was really expecting him to to be able to to, to pull that Mercedes in. I wasn't necessarily convinced that he'd be able to pass George because George was pretty feisty all afternoon, and I think he would have put up a pretty robust uh, defense of that P3 considering the season that, that Mercedes has had so far. But I, I was disappointed that Sergio, at the very least, did not get on the back of that uh, Mercedes's gearbox by say lap 64 65 and at least give it one good shot to try and take that P3 right in the last lap or so. I don't know what what do you think Mark? Yeah, I, I totally agree and I just want to contextualize the conversation with a couple of other statistics around Red Bull and some of their domination this year. Uh so far through 7 races this year Red Bull has led 400 a Red Bull car has led 401 laps uh to <laughs> 16 for the rest of the field. And the other one here, this is a tweet from Philip Horton. I thought this was really good. Red Bull's advantage over the next best car in each race this year. (laughs) Bahrain, 38.6 seconds. Saudi, 20.7 seconds. Australia, of course, that was a safety car finish, 0.1 seconds. Azerbaijan, 21.2. Miami, 26.3 seconds. Monaco, 27.9 seconds. And Spain, 24 seconds. Of course, this race was pretty clean. In fact, it was just the 14th time in Formula History. History, we didn't have a DNF, uh, let alone a safety right. car or red flag. But again, that gap isn't really getting better. And I, I think as as a lot of media pundits and analysts do, I, I just I can't I can't wrap my head around how much incremental pace is in that RB19 that we're not seeing because he simply doesn't need to. He just he can preserve the power unit, he can preserve the gearbox, he can preserve the electrical system and he can just drive at a pace that he's comfortable with. And like I said earlier, he was very complimentary he being Max Verstappen very complimentary about the car and and the setup. Um I think like a lot of drivers there were some questions this today about some of the the harder compound tires activating because of the colder temperatures, but that's something I think that the entire field felt, but uh, again Red Bull is in a very comfortable place. They Currently lead the Constructors' Championship, and I'm sure you'll get to the classification a little bit later. But 287 points. Uh, Mercedes has officially leapfrog or leapfrogged Aston Martin. Aston Martin's on 134. Mercedes is on 152. So 135 point difference between the two of them. Uh, but Max today was absolutely perfect. Which maybe, and I don't know if we're due for a break. Um, I think is the perfect segue into talking about Lewis, George, and and Mercedes post updates from from Monaco. Yeah, let's do that. Let's jump into a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, them in a moment. And uh, we'll do so. We'll take a very, very quick break. And uh, I'm repeating myself, Hammy. You know, <laughs> I would have thought having the benefit of a couple of days rest, I'd be on the top of my game. But I guess I'm Sergio rather than Max in podcasting tonight. And on that note, note time for a quick message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights and more. Whether you're into speed, power or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to the program. So, Mark, I'm going to just uh, run down the the race classification. Usually, this is the time of the show, or at some point, I usually put you on the spot for fantasy. I don't know if you've got that uh, all teed up. Anyways, oh, uh, let's uh, talk a little bit now. Uh, first, let's go down the the classification and the the championship standings. First of all, so uh, today it at the Spanish Grand Prix at the Circuit Barcelona Catalunya, we saw Max Verstappen winning for Red Bull, Lewis Hamilton P two, George Russell P three so a double podium finish for the silver arrows mercedes and sergio perez as we mentioned a couple of times already coming home in p4 carlos Sainz for ferrari p5 lance stroll and fernando alonso double points finish and a double top 10 finish obviously for the aston martins a bit of a, an off weekend for fernando and then you had esteban Ocon, joe guan Yu, and then pierre gasly so another double points finish for the the alpines not uh, quite as spectacular as we saw in uh, monaco last week but i wonder if uh, laurent rossi is kind of flexing on his um putting them on blast in the media a couple of uh, weeks ago anyways let's uh, quickly just uh, look at the championship uh, standings so um let's Let's look at the drivers first. Max Verstappen on top with 170 points. Sergio Perez second with 117. Fernando Alonso third with 99. Lewis Hamilton fourth with 87. And then George Russell fifth in the championship with 65 points. Over on the teams in the constructors, pardon me, the constructors championship, Red Bull on top with 287, Mercedes second with 152, Aston Martin third with 134, Ferrari fourth, finally getting to triple digits. They have 100 points, and then Alpine in fifth with 40 points at the moment. So, Mark, you got it all queued up. Let's see what we had happen in our fantasy. One time, I didn't have it ready to go. So Dude, I do, have I do not doubt you. I don't doubt you at all. It's just the platform okay, always okay. lets us down. Okay, I feel down. better about that. So <laughs> sitting at number one, having moved up a spot, L1F1 is sitting at number one, just 10 points behind. Slipping down to number two is Nathan's team. Uh, continuing in spot three, Ole's Lena's number four, Bengals Bubs. Up to number five, No Doze. Up to number six, Charles Ciel. Down to number six, uh, Fires Ferrets. Up to number six, Buenos Dias. In ninth spot, FC Racing number three. In tenth spot, moving up a couple of spots, Cranger slipping down to the tenth spot, Jesse H. In twelfth, CDP Racing. In thirteenth, My My My, OOO. Fourteenth, Brooklyn Bagel Race Club. Fifteen, Aston gives you wings. And also in fifteenth spot, Dreams Saturdays. Uh, disappointing for all of us because I think everyone likes me to say this on the air, but Yuki's Farts 2023 has slipped <laughs> all the way down to the seventeenth spot at 2,129 points. And if you're interested, I'm currently up in spot two, number 10, two, number 10, 210 with 1,975 points. All right, there you go. Some interesting uh, moves uh, happening in our fantasy league. Okay, we've talked uh, quite a bit about Red Bull. Let's now talk about uh, Mercedes. A double points finish, and they looked pretty good today because... 
Aston Martin, despite um, seeing some good stuff from uh, from uh, Lance Stroll during qualifying, I guess uh, you know he heard that uh, you put your your condo in Lance Stroll Island up for sale and felt a little bit uh, you know disappointed, upset about that. So Lance delivered at least in in qualifying. Fernando struggled, uh, had some issues there, and um, you know where did he? Uh, we we can pull up the grid here in a moment, but the the, the big story was where. Aston Martin struggled this weekend, especially during the race. Um, Mercedes turned it around. Like I said, a double podium finish for Lewis and uh, for for George Russell. And uh, George just looked like he was bound and determined to to get as high up as as he possibly could. Because let's be fair, at the starts. Carlos Sainz and Max, they both had very good starts. Carlos, you know, threatened going into turn one. But let's be honest, if he got in front of Max, Max would have gobbled him up pretty quick. It might not have been in that first lap, but it wouldn't have been very long because as soon as he got in front of him, he just opened up that gap. I mean, by the time it all really shook out, I mean, Carlos, he ends up uh, down in P5, you know, it just... It seemed about right, and you know he did finish ahead of the uh, the the Aston Martins, who obviously just had a, an off weekend, despite finishing both cars uh, in in the top ten. But I was really impressed to see that uh, that the two Mercedes had as much pace in the uh, you know in, in the race. The soft tires, especially for George, seemed to be running really well, and uh, it, it was good to see. I mean, obviously. You know, Max is way out there and Red Bull's way out there in front of everyone else. But we're seeing some gains elsewhere in the field. And it kind of goes back to the same conversation that we had or we've been having all season long. That if it wasn't for Max and Red Bull, this would actually be a pretty interesting championship. But, um, you know, that's not really the you know the, the point of this conversation. Want to get your thoughts on Lewis on George and what we saw from Mercedes this weekend. Hammy. Yeah, lots of takeaways here. And I think this is really good news for everybody that follows Formula One, that we have a team that had been mired in a degree of mediocrity this year that all of a sudden seems to be much more racy than maybe we'd expected them to be so quickly. So first of all, huge shout out to George Russell, you know, whereas Sergio Perez started P11, didn't get out of Q2 and finished P4. George Russell also didn't get out of Q2, but finished on the podium. So really, if you you can draw a direct parallel between the performance of each of those two drivers today. And obviously, George was the better driver. That said, though, Lewis Hamilton started P5, qualified P5, finishes P2, takes his 193rd career podium. That, of course, is a record. And interestingly, if you didn't know, he has more P1 finishes than he has P2, P3 finishes combined. There's a very realistic possibility now that maybe he maybe he scores his 200th podium finish at some point this year. And the reason that I'm excited about all of this is, of course, last weekend, Mercedes brought a not insignificant upgrade package to Monaco. And we were very cautious and kind of mentioned that, look, the reality is this could be the greatest upgrade package in the world that could deliver race-beating performance, but we're probably not going to know it at Monaco for all the reasons that we've talked about before. They brought, obviously, a significantly reworked and completely fundamentally new front suspension. They brought a new floor. And of course, the floor is so important because that's where so much of the downforce comes from. And they finally shed those zero-pod side pods. And I think probably the, the biggest, most 
most significant impacts probably coming from the floor and and from the the front suspension. I think the side pods are probably just more symbolic because it's something that we've seen and been able to talk about so much for the past 18 months. But that upgrade package is not insignificant. Now, you know, I was listening to the Checkered Flag podcast earlier today, and they they were very smart to caution people that, look, you know what? This is great, but we don't yet know if the upgrade package just happens to be circuit centric and that this was just a circuit where those upgrades worked really well. And they reminded me as well that last year, Mercedes brought upgrades to Spain and they looked pretty good in Spain last year. And I think we all thought, aha, this is the breakthrough that we're expecting. And then they went to Canada and they completely fell apart and they really didn't get it together until July when they went to the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. But there's lots of reasons for optimism here. And on the Checkered Flag podcast, Mark Priestley, of course, former mechanic from, from the McLaren team, he was asked about, hey, what type of sample do we need to see before we can start feeling confident that this performance that we saw out of the Mercedes today is here to stay, that this is sustainable. And his point was, it's not that we need to see it over a certain number of races, but rather we need to see this level of performance over a mix of different circuits. So obviously last weekend probably wasn't the ideal uh, kind of metric to, to understand what this package is going to be able to deliver. But today they looked really good. And like you said, this is their first double podium finish of the year. It's George Russell's first podium finish. Uh, They've certainly stomped on Aston Martin a little bit in terms of the Constructors' Championship. And of course, a big part of that is simply because Lance Stroll's underperformed so much this year, but they they looked really, really, really good. And I think the car showed balance. Um, and I think it showed grip that maybe they weren't expecting. And I also I also have to wonder whether Mercedes was themselves surprised by this result that, you know, obviously they probably couldn't have predicted that Sergio Perez was going to race so poorly and ultimately finish off the podium. But I don't know that they were expecting to see this pace themselves. And I think some of the positive signs for them this weekend was you know, Ferrari continues to falter and we can talk a little bit about the the chaos that is that is coming from Marinello at this point, but they also just stormed past the Aston Martins. And, you know, early on, there's that, that little bit of a battle between between Lewis and Lance. And I was, I was a little bit disappointed when Lance gave up that position to Lewis so quickly. And I assume maybe he'd be a little bit more racy and come at, come at, come back at Lewis. That was never going to happen. They simply didn't have the pace on this high deg circuit in this setup. That, that balance was just perfect, but it was really great to see the, the Mercedes performing as well as they did. Because I think at one point it was a question about whether Mercedes could capture or pass Aston Martin for P2 and the constructors. Um, at this point, I think the question is more about, hey, is is what Aston Martin showed us early in the season itself sustainable as Mercedes continues to build? And I think the other kind of main takeaway with the with respect to the upgrades that Mercedes brought is these aren't arbitrary isolated upgrades, but rather this is a fundamentally new concept for the W14 that they they basically as much as they can, because they can't really rework the monocoque, the chassis this late in the season, but they fundamentally rework the concept that is the W14. And I think the key here is that if this new concept works, now they can start bringing upgrades that are specific to this concept. So while we may have seen a two-tenth improvement today, there isn't to say that there's a lot more that could be unlocked, because potentially there's a lot that could be unlocked from the W14 from this point forward. So very, very very, very exciting to see. And you know, that George Russell performance today was, uh, was fantastic. 
Oh, he, he had the bit between his teeth uh, right from the very start there. And you know, it was interesting because he had to take to that um, that uh, that runoff area in turn one and two, and then he rejoined uh, past where that bollard was. And I, I think that was fair play on that. I mean, it was noted the stewards ultimately decided that he didn't gain an unfair advantage um, be, be, because of it. But I mean, George looked like he was up from it uh, or up for it right from the, from the very beginning. And uh, it, it was really great to see. But, you know, I, I think you raised a really really good point where you said that maybe perhaps that uh, Barcelona was just a track that really suited the W14 and yes I agree that the sample size is just way too small at this moment because if you kind of look at um, you know Mercedes fortunes compared to Aston Martin's uh, performance uh, this weekend yeah they've had their ups and downs but Fernando especially has looked uh, pretty pacey and racy in every single race at every single track uh, this weekend and when he was asked after the race about that he's just like you know some Sometimes you have good weekends, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. He basically said, sometimes you have good weekends, sometimes you have bad ones. This is one of the bad ones. We're going to be going to Canada next in a couple of weeks, and that should be you know a track that's more suited to us. So I'm much more looking forward to to getting back on, on track there. But yeah, you know, just um, you know, talking about the the, the Mercedes there, and um, you know the the you know the fact that they've gone away from this whole design concept that they've held close and dear to their heart for the past uh, year and a half and we've seen over the past couple of weekends this mercedes with side pods on it it's it's taking a little bit of use uh, you know getting used to but uh, it was certainly uh, good to see but yeah i i need to see this uh, you know replicated over a couple of uh, races to come before i get uh, really really you know excited before maybe i uh, <clears throat> I wouldn't say I'm ready to buy a condo on uh, Mercedes Island 2023 yet, but I'm definitely thinking about maybe going there for a long weekend <laughs> if we see a couple more a couple more races uh, like this. I also have an I Airbnb wanna... on Mercedes Island, by the way, that I bought in 2014. So, so if you're interested, uh, I'm, I'm willing to make that available to you. Okay, perfect. Well, let's talk now about uh, Ferrari. Um, Actually, and the before we do, that, uh, that they had a couple of quick comments too, just to paraphrase a couple of comments from Lewis this weekend. Uh, so, when asked by the BBC um, about the performance upgrades, he said uh, effectively, and I'm paraphrasing here, this is exactly what we were hoping for. The performance step was under two tenths. This result was amazing. Credit to everybody back at Bricksworth and Brackley. He says it was mega to be faster than the Aston Martins and Ferraris. Had better pace and did better job delivering across all of the sessions. George Russell said the upgrades worked as expected uh they're looking forward to the next batch of updates um and he went on to speak to the fact that hey this is just the beginning for that team and they think they can grow and, and build from here yeah absolutely okay let's talk about uh, ferrari now hammy love to get your take on the weekend uh, for the scuderia yeah it was a disaster i i mean ultimately carlos Sainz scores a p5 that's I think maybe a win relative to where their performance has been uh, across the championship this year. But I, I think this is not the weekend they they wanted. And and I think that Fred Vasseur and I think Charles Leclerc and I, I think Carlos Sainz are, are looking for any measure from which they can start to build some some sustainable positive momentum in in the championship and and obviously without going into too much detail uh the weekend for Charles Leclerc especially was a disaster qualifying was a nightmare um it was interesting to see that they started on a very strange tire strategy for for Charles Leclerc they started him on the hards hoping to go on a long stint but they brought him in quickly um obviously they started from the pit lane because post qualifying they 
effectively rebuilt. It's been reported that they effectively rebuilt the entire rear end of that car. So presumably the suspension in, in the gearbox. And, and it's funny because Ferrari were very clear that they didn't understand the issues that were hampering that car, the SF23, in, in practice and qualifying, but yet they they were confident enough that they knew to rebuild the back end of that car. And Mark Priestley was quoted this weekend as saying, hey, you know what, sometimes, sometimes when you're not entirely sure what the issue is, it's important to do something. And, and sometimes you do something because it can be a psychological benefit to the driver, that if the driver himself is struggling sometimes like hey look man we went in we rebuilt your gearbox or we we tightened the casing on the gearbox or we 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 swapped out the dampers in your suspension that sometimes you do these upgrades because not even these upgrades sometimes you do these tweaks and these rebuilds as a mechanism to reinforce or build confidence in the driver himself but i think this was a, a very disappointing weekend for charles leclerc ultimately he finishes p11 qualifying was a disaster they start from the pit lane has a very weird tire strategy didn't really look like there was going to be any opportunity to finish in the points. And, you know, he was quoted after the race here. Uh, a couple of things he said today in terms of balance, the car was all right, but the performance was not at all consistent. Uh, we ran the hards twice, but with the first set, I struggled a lot. While the second one, it was reasonably good. And I was catching Gasly towards the end. We really must analyze all the data because while the upgrades seem to work as expected, we are always slightly caught out by what is happening with the tires and we struggle to get them in the right window, which is a big problem. We ran the same tire twice in the same race and we went from having a very bad car to quite a good one towards the end of the race. Now we will go back to the factory and find out what went wrong yesterday in qualifying because that's what put us in a tricky situation today. There's a lot of work to do. And of course, what he's referring to here is the fact that this is a car that has caused a lot of degradation on the tires. And of course, this is a track with its high speed twisty corners and the aggregate is itself a high deg traffic so it was a it was never going to be a good recipe for Ferrari. Carlos Sainz equally as disappointed. He said after the race, unfortunately, this is our situation, exactly what I was talking about yesterday. We know race pace and high-speed corners is our main weakness. And unfortunately, Bar Barcelona has a high degradation tarmac, a high degradation configuration, and a lot of high-speed corners, which is not our main weakness. And that's why today we are struggling so much out there. Also, with the predictability of the car and everything, we were just, I did everything I could. I did the most optimal driving and stint that I could do, but unfortunately, P5 was the best that I could achieve. We've identified our weaknesses and we exactly know where we are lacking. The feedback is there and attention is there. We just need time. We need to keep trying, keep bringing things to improve the package. Mercedes today proved they've done a good step and it's a good reference. We're going to try our best. I see the team united. I see the team pushing flat out back in Marinello. We probably just put the upgrade in the worst possible circuit for us, which doesn't help. And of course, what he's also referring to here is that uh, Ferrari themselves brought an upgrade, but I think it may have backfired in terms of timing and due to the nature of the circuit. So the the back end of Charles Leclerc car, which presumably is what caused so many of the qualifying aggravations for him, has been sent back to Marinello, and they're going to do a teardown and better understand what happened there. But I, I think daily, you know, a P5 for Carlos Sainz probably is the best that they possibly could have hoped for. And in terms of Charles Leclerc, you know, it's starting in the pit lane after a horror qualifying finishing P11 just on the outside of the points, 
probably not a lot more you could have asked for from him too. But it is very interesting when he comments about the fact that, hey, my first stint on the hards, which is the stint that was supposed to go long, although they shorted it and they brought him in early, presumably because he was giving a lot of feedback about losing grip, um, was terrible. And then they did a later stint on the hards where all of a sudden the compound seemed to activate despite the fact that the track temperature and the ambient temperature was the same. Um, <laughs> and he had a little bit more success. So I think where, where Mercedes was, last year and in the early part of this season where they really didn't understand the car and they couldn't fix it because they didn't fundamentally understand what the problems were. I think that's a little bit of what Frederick Vasseur is facing here that ultimately this was a car in he inherited by Mattia Bonato. Of course, he didn't take the job until just a few weeks before Christmas. And I think they're trying to put band-aids on a car that might be fundamentally flawed. So when they talk about all the hard work back at Marinello, I'm sure the bulk of the work that ha is happening now is getting ready for the SF24 for the 2024 campaign, but definitely not a great weekend for the Marinello scuder Scuderia. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was interesting too, because I was, I was watching Sainz, particularly in those first opening laps of the race, and I couldn't help but wonder, is is this going to materialize to something, or are we going to watch his pace uh, drop off? Is he going to be, you know, caught by the others? Because it, it was just obvious at at, at at some point that uh, that Aston Martin just didn't have it uh, this weekend. Fernando just didn't have it this weekend. So that left the door wide open for somebody else to do something, to, to, to step into that void that uh, has usually been filled by the British Racing Green Aston Martin this, uh, th this season. And it was the Mercedes cars that stepped up and did it. So, I mean... I think the P5 for science is ultimately very disappointing. It's his home race and, and all those things. And, you know, it's just, but at the same time, like you say, that this is probably the most reasonable, this is probably what you could have expected uh, him to do. But I mean, Charles just uh, all weekend was very disappointing as well. I mean, he made very little impression like on the track during the race. I, I thought I was expecting that Charles would at least get into the points, but he was on the outside uh, looking in and, you know, that, that P11 is ultimately a little bit flattering too, because if it wasn't for, um, you know, Yuki getting his elbows out and getting that uh, five second uh, penalty for, you know, forcing uh, Joe Guan Yu off the track there in the latter stages of the race, which demoted him to 12 so that, uh, you know, that boosted Charles, uh, you know, a, a position. So, you know, P11 still isn't in the points, but, <laughs> you know, it, you know that, uh, that, that penalty for Yuki did benefit him as well. So, Daily you know, you... you yeah, go I, I ahead. was just gonna, I was just going to say because I, I just glanced at the classifications and I know you read this earlier, but Ferrari currently sitting P four, thirty four points behind Aston Martin, Aramco, Mercedes. But Carlos Sainz and Charles Leclerc have two combined top four finishes this year. Ferrari has scored one podium through the first seven Grand Prix of this season. So despite all of the things that I just mentioned that, hey, maybe this car is fundamentally flawed and Frederick Vassour inherited a really bad hand when he took over the, the Marinero-based squad, but ultimately a single podium. And to be fair, Mercedes only had a single podium coming into this race weekend, but a single podium has to be has to be marked as a disaster and and 
Carlos Sainz earlier this season, his his performances were being significantly challenged and whether he should have a seat with, with the Ferrari-based team. But right now, he's sitting 16 points up on Charles Leclerc. He's sitting at 58 points to Charles Leclerc's 42 points. Um, and despite the fact that they brought some upgrades, they've moved to a more conventional side pod. Until they can address the tire degradation issues that they're having with this car, they're just going to continue to eat through compounds. Um, and they're not going to be competitive in the later stages of races because they're not going to be able to fully extract as much as possible from the softer compound tires when they're available to them. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Ferrari and specifically Charles in a moment. So let's just take a quick break. We'll come back on the flip side. We'll talk about that. Then we'll talk about a couple of other things that happened on Sunday before we wrap this thing up. So don't go away. We'll be back in uh, just a moment. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back. Yeah, sticking with the Ferrari just for a couple more moments here, Mark. I you know, I can't help but but feel that uh, this um, you know this weekend, this race is just a, a reflection of just Charles's career with Ferrari so far. He's been there since what 2019 now 2018 2019 2017 2018. Sauber made the move in 2018. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that, uh, for, for the clarification. But, you know, if I, if I go back to that, uh, what was it, the second race of uh, 2018 there in Bahrain, remember how he was storming away only to have mechanical problems right at the end and have that, uh, you know, like a really, really good result of not the wind slip right through his fingers. That's kind of been the overarching theme to like his Ferrari career thus far. I mean, there's some been some really high highs and some very low lows, but it, the pendulum just swings back and forth and back and forth. And it just seems that, you know, that there's been more lows, especially in the last year and a bit rather than highs. And, you know, it's, it's, it's gotta be frustrating for, for Charles. I mean, undoubtedly such a talented driver. And when you get that offer, when Ferrari comes knocking and says, we want you to come and drive for us. I mean, Everybody would take that opportunity, right? I mean, obviously you and I would do that because, you know, that would get us out of the drudgery of our everyday, you know, life stuck in the rat race. <laughs> Not that Formula One's any easier, but you know what I mean? I mean, if Ferrari comes knocking, everybody's going to answer that call, right? So it's got to be frustrating for him because, you know, he's had a taste of it knowing that when this car, when, when this team gets it right, I mean, the sky's the limit and he's had so many unfortunate circumstances. I don't know, Mark, but what do you think is keeping Charles motivated at the moment at Ferrari? Because it's, it, it always seems to be maybe next weekend, maybe next month. Oh, maybe after the summer break or, you know, 
maybe next year. Like, wh- what do you think is going on between you know between his ears? What's going on in his mind? Like, what's keeping Charles focused and motivated right now? So I think I think it's a totally fair question, and I, I think that's probably a question that a lot of people are feeling. That I think across the Formula One spectrum, there's probably a lot of sympathy for Charles Leclerc to be mired in that situation, mired in the situation of driving for the Ferrari Formula One team. But I, I think again, he made the decision to go to Ferrari, and there were other options available to him and there have subsequently been other options available to him. But I I think it's key to remember that for all of the struggles that he or the team has had since he's been there, he's not been a perfect driver himself. And if you were to compare him to some of the very best drivers in Formula One, because I think that's typically what we do when we kind of rank the the quality of the top drivers in Formula One, if you were to index him against Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen, he, he creates far more headache for himself than those other drivers do through driver error and unforced error and mistakes on the track. Now, of course, he's also been hampered by all of the issues uh, associated with that car, the challenges with the car, the reliability, the strategy, et cetera, et cetera. But my point is, I don't know that there's a better situation for him. It's certainly not going to be Mercedes. It's certainly not going to be Aston Martin. So I don't know that I feel a ton of sympathy for him. If he has been, if he had been perfect for the last four or five years and Ferrari kept giving him onions in terms of the quality of the car and the controversy with suspicious power unit functions in 2019 and and all those other kind of pieces, I, I think I, <laughs> I would be more sympathetic, but he's been far from perfect. He's been fantastic. He's one of the best drivers on the planet, but he hasn't been he hasn't been perfect. So I think as, as much as Ferrari needs to continue to improve that car and fix some of their strategy calls, which admittedly have been better this year than they were in 2022, he's been he's he himself has been far from perfect. And if you were to look at the if you were to look at the rest of the championship, where else would he want to be? Would he want to sign up to Mercedes? Is is that the best situation for him? And is their ceiling that much higher? It probably is this season and, and maybe next year because it seems like their development is taken some pretty significant strides. Does he want to sign up to Aston Martin? I, I don't know about that. Like I, I think at the end of the day, this is the situation that he would sign up for 10 times out of 10, because I think when the team is winning and it can activate the Tifosi and that, that Ferrari, that Ferrari fan base, there's probably no better place to drive. Uh, but it's just, he's the team's been struggling and they've been struggling a lot since the second half of last year. Yeah, I mean, at least in for Charles right now, he has time and age in his favor because he's locked up there till what we we believe till tw- end of twenty five, right? And so we we got got another two and a half years. I mean, I, I you know if, if I was Charles, as frustrating as it is and has been, you got Fred Vasseur. He's been in the job not even six months. I mean, you got to give this guy an opportunity to make an impression on the he team. He has to be able to build his build own car. A car that's, exactly, he has yeah, to be able to build precisely. His own car. Exactly. I mean, and then after that, if it's not going well, and then when they finally kick Sergio out of um, Red Bull because <laughs> you know reasons, then maybe you make that switch to Red Bull. And I'm being I know, I know, silly here, but you know, the the thing is that I, I think that Charles just maybe has to be patient at the moment I think because. So. You know, if uh, I, I just can't believe that it, it's going to go on like this indefinitely at at Ferrari. The the one thing that we've seen them do over the years is, is just kind of like roll the dice. And some of the, the the people that they've brought in to be team principal there, 
a bit questionable. Let let let's just put it that way. But I mean, with the appointment with um, with with Bonato, you could kind of understand it. Long term employee had been there for what twenty five yeah. years. Was an engineer. You know, had the team's best interests at heart. Okay, it didn't quite work out because maybe, although you know, an exceptionally talented engineer. Maybe he just didn't have quite what it takes to cut it as a team principal. But now you bring Fred Vasur in, who is undoubtedly one of those people that has the skill set of a, of a team principal in Formula One, albeit with a smaller team. Is he able to scale that up to the monster, the behemoth, the juggernaut that is Ferrari? That's the $64,000 question. Nobody really knows, but you have to give him time too. So I think Charles, you know, if he's a couple of years older, maybe he starts getting a little bit impatient saying, guys, look, I'm going into the prime of my career. You've been firing blanks for ages that it's either deliver now or I'm going to start making some phone calls. And I, I, I think he's, I think he's a little bit away. You know, I, I don't think he's there quite yet. So you know what I mean? The good news daily is he's still very young. He has 109 Grand Prix race starts to his name. He's only 25 years old. And he seems older because he's been racing full-time in Formula One since the 20, <laughs> 2018's championship, yep. but he's young. Yeah. I think I think the good news is that the team probably can't get worse. And and I think they were, I think they were that that was put to them this weekend that I think they feel that, hey, they've hit bottom and it's there's only there's only a single trajectory they can go moving forward. Um, I think you're right around Frederick Vasseur being given the opportunity to build his own car. And I think this team will be much better placed to contend on a kind of a week by week basis next year. But the one caution that I have is that there are certain executives within the Ferrari family, including John Elkan and Benedetto Vigna, who have made it their personal mission to... I shouldn't say interfere, but get involved in the Formula One team in a way that that has never happened before, that typically the team principal at Marinello at Ferrari has had total and complete autonomy in building and managing the Formula One team. And I think for the first time that executives from the broader Ferrari automotive family are are making their presence known. So that worries me a little bit that non-F1 executives are making decisions and pushing for influence on the design and management of a Formula One team when they've never been involved in the craft of managing a motorsports team before. So that that has me a little bit has me a little bit cautious and something I watch very closely. Sure. Totally. I hundred percent agree with you. But does that not maybe signal to the rest of the outside world, to people like you and myself and and actually important people in Formula One, like the other team principals and whatnot, that if people like that outside the immediate um, orbit of the team, that that next managerial level up, uh, let, let's let's call it that, and, and, and higher, does that not signal that there is some level of I don't want to say alarm, but some level urgency. of concern. It's urgency. 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 Perfect. Yeah. Perfect yeah. word. Perfect word. That there's a level of urgency at the boardroom yes. from the broader Ferrari family that you guys need to start delivering. You know, we're Ferrari. We should not be satisfied or walking away with a oh, we 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 scored a P5 today, and that's probably the best we could have hoped for. We we should be out there challenging for races every weekend 
championships, the whole nine yards, and and we're not even coming close to that at the moment. So I think yeah, urgency is the the the, the perfect uh, the, the perfect word to to use there. Hey Mark, before we wrap it up, I just want to just uh, go quickly back over the, the the first five rows of the the starting grid this weekend um, because there's a couple of cool stories I want to you know wrap up in the next ten minutes or so before we turn the lights off here. So we had Max and Carlos in row uh, row one, then we had Lando and Lewis on lo- row two, then Lance Stroll and Esteban Ocon on row three, row four Nico Hulkenberg and. Fernando Alonso, and then row five, you had Oscar Piastri and Pierre Gasly. I don't know about you. I mean, as, as obviously as frustrating as it was for for drivers like Sergio, George, and Charles, it was great to see some of those uh, different cars and different drivers up there because it added to a little bit of the unpredictability at the start of the race there. I mean, obviously Lando wasn't going to steal. I don't think he... Let, let's be fair. Lando must have known beforehand that uh, he probably wasn't going to podium in this race. Um, Nico Hulkenberg probably realized that uh, points might be a little bit of a tall order. But Piastri, that was a good showing. And Gasly, you know, top 10, which is all right, uh, I suppose. But I mean, did convert that into a top 10 point finish. I thought it was great to see that real mix up. I think there's what seven different constructors in that um, those first five rows or something like that. Just want to get your take on w- what we saw there, and then of course uh, your know, heartbreak for, for for Lando, you know, touching uh, Lewis uh, Lewis's. I guess it would have been his right rear tire into turn one two that uh, complex of turns there, breaking the end plate off his front wing, and then disappearing all the way down to you know the very back of the running order before the first lap was uh, even over, only recovering to, to P17 by the time it was uh, all done. Just just want to get your take on some of those uh, different drivers there and just uh, maybe get a couple of closing thoughts. Yeah, I think that's you, fair. Abby. So kudos to Alpine, and I think you mentioned this earlier in the podcast, a double points finish. I think that's the third time in a row. So it, it feels like they're they're creating some positive, sustainable momentum. Uh, obviously, I think we were all very excited about the Nando qualifying performance that that he qualified where he did seem to be a breakthrough for for that team. And of course, for it to go sideways so quickly and so early in the race. And, and ultimately, I don't think it was a question about whether it was a racing incident or whether he did anything wrong or were, whether Lewis did anything wrong, but he probably just didn't predict that Lewis's car was going to be where it was in that exact moment based on some other things that were happening farther up the grid at the start of the race. But ultimately, breaking your end plate and causing damage to your car is a really, really easy way to, to complicate to complicate the race for your team. And it's also a little bit sad because I was really looking forward to seeing that beautiful triple crown livery throughout the race in the in the kind of the top 10 uh, kind of placements on, on the racing grid and the racing order. But of course, it vanished. So he finished significantly out of the points. Of course, that was a, a terrible outcome for, for McLaren. Um, that livery is gone. We won't see that again. Um, and just kind of a couple of quick notes maybe on on Aston Martin. Obviously, we've talked so highly of Fernando Alonso uh, this year. I think both of those cars had issues activating the compound on the tires on this very high DEG circuit. I think based on the comments from Lance Stroll and, and from Fernando Alonso, they expect much more out of the car next weekend or the weekend after next weekend when they go to Canada, but ultimately a P5 and a P7 that was certainly certainly Alonso's worst, not just race, 
result, but certainly his worst weekend of the year that I think we probably would have put money, especially going into Spain on him being able to find his way onto the podium here. But a P7, um, I guess it was a P7 and a P6, um, ultimately wasn't the outcome that he was expecting. Um, a very good result for Lance Stroll, maybe given where the car was versus where the Mercedes were in terms of raw race pace this weekend. And of course, maybe he's responding to some of the never ending criticism that he's been getting from myself over the course of the last couple of podcasts, but I'm sure he'll Plus be- Plus all the for sale signs going up on yeah, Lance Stroll Island. Think, that's that's got to hurt. I think he'll be happy with that that P6. Curiously, he was, and yeah. this is kind of circulating on social media as well, he was, he was questioned by the press post-race about whether Aston Martin had held- held Fernando Alonso back and that ha- Fernando Alonso probably had the pace to take to take Lance and he was not happy with that question at all and he said ultimately it's a P6 P7 for the team either way so what does it matter uh, but it kind of opened up this kind of Pandora's box of questions about wait a minute was the team strategically holding Fernando back when maybe he had better pace than than Lance and ultimately that that wouldn't have made a lot of sense if he had the opportunity to go and chase down Carlos Sainz in which case you know what you let Alonso go but he probably didn't so so you you just hold the two of them, you hold it steady, and you cash those constructors' points. But not a great weekend for Aston Martin relative to where they've been the rest of the the championship. I think they'll be happy that that for the first time this year, maybe Lance Stroll showed a little bit of pace relative to where the package was and the balance was, and he takes that P five. But we'll see uh, we'll see what that translates into next weekend. Um, a couple of other really good calls here as well. Zhu finishes the points for just the second time this year. Uh, Yuki heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak for Yuki. He takes a five second penalty uh, for pushing Zhu off track. He ultimately finishes out of the points. He was devastated, and I felt heartbroken for him because I know how hard he's been fighting with a. Really, really, really poor quality car so far uh, this year. And then maybe one other thing that we'll definitely get into this weekend or this coming Friday podcast, um, the FIA application process has formally closed um, and that we expect to hear something in the next couple of weeks and and months. Oh, one final point here too. Um, Bottas uh, sent out a social media post today indicating that he and the team uh, were very, very confused about why that team or why that car had so little pace uh, this weekend. Once they got it back in the garage, they discovered pretty significant floor damage, uh, which would attribute or which was specifically the reason why they had so much trouble with uh, pace throughout the race. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, considering Joe finished in ninth and Valtteri finished in 19th, exactly. I mean, you you would have figured that those two drivers would have, uh, you know, in in more ideal circumstances, would have uh, finished closer together. Hey, but but Hammy, before we go here, I just want to get your uh, your thoughts on the track itself. Gone was that ridiculous uh, chicane at uh, turn thirteen last year. We saw the reprofiled corner at turn eleven, which was uh, you know basically reset to the original configuration to the track. I thought that for the first time in a very, very long time, I maybe <laughs> the first time ever, I felt like a lap around Barcelona did not feel choppy and disjointed, especially through turn uh, 13 and 14 back onto start finish. And I think what it did by removing that chicane really allowed these cars to really wind up and really build up the speed, take advantage of the, the DRS going into turn one. We saw quite a bit of uh, overtaking uh, today um, throughout the fields. Unfortunately, not up for the for, for the race lead, but we saw plenty of overtaking on a track we don't 
typically see a lot of overtakes. I mean, in the past, this has been one of the tracks where it tends to be on the lower side if, uh, of overtaking if uh, memory serves. Yeah, I, I very much agree that taking out that chicane towards the, which I guess it's the final complex towards turn 14 when you start heading down the start finish straight. Um, I thought that was fantastic. And I, I agree with you. It, it allows these drivers to wind up these cars. Um, and I think it probably makes it much more enjoyable to drive as well. The one thing that I would caution though is is, hey, you know what? Overtake count might improve as a year-over-year comp or as a, especially as a two-year comp or a three-year comp. But I think the caution that I would have is that the overtakes were very similar to what we see in Hungary, which is, hey, T2, basically all of the complexes outside of the main straight don't produce a lot of wheel-to-wheel racing, that all of the overtaking happens at the end of the first DRS zone, at the end of the start-finish straight going into T1. So I, I would be very cautious that, hey, it's it's a better racing spectacle now, especially with that chicane in the final complex removed. I still find it a fairly enjoyable racetrack to watch, but I would just caution that an awful lot of the overtaking still happens in that one place. So you basically wind up those cars, you get in the slipstream, you step out of the slipstream, you outbreak the car in front of you, and you take that position in T1. That's ultimately what we see here, and it's very, very similar to the racing strategy that these teams employ at Hungary, where outside of that start so that start finish straight in T1, there isn't a lot of opportunity to overtake. So yeah, more overtaking, but just be cautious about where we're seeing it. Yeah, the only other place that uh, that you could really pass is turn 11 because there's only two DRS zones, one on the main straight and then the straight, the short one between turns 10 and 11. And 11 is sometimes where we see some uh, overtakes. And then, like I said, they did reprofile that last year. And then it, it really has made that uh, that last complex series of turns through uh, 11, 12, 13, and then ultimately 14 really makes it a, a lot smoother. So I thought it was... Uh, it was really uh, good. I thought it was an improvement uh, for sure. Amy, before we go, it's your turn to do what you do and send a reminder to all the good folks uh, listening before we, we we call it a night. Yeah, if you like the show, um, I'm available on Venmo. I will take donations. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I don't, I don't actually know what Venmo <laughs> is. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Neither do I. Very but... much appreciate it. If you like what we do here and if you're still listening at the one hour mark of our Spanish Grand Prix preview, preview review maybe you do review maybe you do uh if you can jump on the spotify and give us a rating in app that would be amazing and if you listen on the apple ecosystem if you could give us a rating and a review that would be fantastic and of course we always read those out on the show because they mean the world to both of us we are going to be back this coming friday we have an action-packed show there's a ton of new stories coming uh one of them of course being that the fia application process for the expression of new teams uh is concluding so Exciting. we'll be able to talk a lot about that and kind of get into the ins and outs of what teams we believe have submitted applications and which haven't and where we think those are going to go of course we don't have a race this coming weekend so we get a week and off of what was supposed to be the Imola Monaco Spanish Grand Prix uh, triple header. I think the teams are going to be relieved because oftentimes they go straight to Montreal after a European race. They're going to get a week off to regroup. Some of these teams are going to have some time to work on their cars, get some additional upgrades. And we go to Canada, which of course is one of the greatest races on the calendar. And I'm not saying that because I'm a biased Canadian, but <laughs> just because it is a really great track. And I think it's cherished by a lot of the drivers on the grid. 
Yeah, absolutely. And everybody, thank you uh, all again for listening uh, and getting in touch. If you want to keep uh, you know communicating and uh, and uh, and connecting with us, by all means, send us a tweet at scooteryf one pod or email us at scooteryf one pod at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. Have a great week. We'll be back in a couple of nights uh, for the the weekly show. Until then, have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now. <laughs>